Welcome to the Alt F4 podcast. I am your host, Brandon, and today we're going to talk about how to keep from getting old. So, um, this is a pretty fresh incident for me, but um, fresher is better, right? Strike while the iron's hot. My son and I went to go visit my grandmother the other day, and she is going to be 98 at the end of this year. So, you know, I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs of her health and all that stuff. But I do have to say that, you know, she's still independent and she's still ambulatory and she's um, she's living in a, a facility. But it's essentially a facility that offers very little in the way of help. It's, um, you know, they make meals and they provide some light house cleaning, but otherwise it's an apartment that she lives in and she lives by herself. And so, um, we happen to be in town. She lives, uh, not, not that far from us. So shame on us for actually not doing more, but we, we happen to be in town because my son was shooting trap. Um, and so, you know, that takes a couple hours and then we're done and it's a uh, Sunday. So, um, I called her up and I said, Hey, uh, if you're not busy, which oftentimes she's not, but she can be, um, we'd like to come by and visit you after trap. And so we had a really brief visit, um, too brief. We were there maybe an hour and a half or so, but one of the topics that came up was that she had, she said, I wish that I had stayed up with a computer. And um, she's been living at this facility, I think, oh, maybe seven, six, seven years now. Um, this computer that she has was one that was purchased for Christmas not long, um, not long before she moved. So I remember it's a Windows 8 computer. It's not completely out of date because, quite <laughs> to be honest... The uh, one I'm using was originally a Windows 7 computer that was upgraded to Windows 10. And so um, I'm, I'm sure it, it would still function in today's environment just like mine is. Um, but what she, we, we talked about, you know, well, because I, I understand what she's saying. What, what she was really saying is that by not being involved in social media that she's somewhat isolated and as a person that's not really involved in social media myself um, I feel the same way to some degree although mine is more by choice hers is probably more by circumstance and so um, you know just as an example is people probably don't even realize all this if they're not in the situation but things we used to do like send mail out invitations for parties right that's all being done over facebook or or other social media platforms and so if you're not on those platforms then you don't even get consideration for the invitation right unless someone recognizes that and says oh yeah don't forget to let's invite so and so who's not on social media because they're 98 <laughs> um then, uh, yeah, you know, you've got to make extra effort to make sure these people stay in the loop with these things. 
And so that's really what she was getting at when she was saying she had wished she had kept up with the computer, which then kind of spurned me on this and some other some other topics I'm going to talk about here in just a minute on keeping yourself young. So let's change gears here and talk about phones. Today's debate is, of course, the iPhone versus the Android. And I think I've mentioned it, but just in case I haven't, I will again. I'm an iPhone user, and I'm an iPhone user for a couple reasons. One is I prefer the more concierge type experience. So it's a you know, it's a more curated platform that Apple controls what goes in, what goes out, how things interact on their um, devices. And so I just feel like that's a better user experience from that standpoint. But I'm not talking out of a out of ignorance either. I've I've actually had well, I've had all three. I'm not even sure if the Windows phone is even around anymore, but um, I've had a, an Android phone, I've had a Windows phone, and I've had an iPhone. And I prefer the iPhone to all three of them. So, before er, before the hate mail and everything comes in, which it never will, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> but um, when I was delivering for Amazon, we were issued a Motorola Razor, which of course is a iPhone, or sorry, an Android phone, and, um, you know, that, that we would use for the mapping software and the Amazon software that was running to set our routes and, and all that stuff that goes along with it. So I'm not saying I don't know anything, and I'm not saying that it's not that long ago. It's just I, I found the Android to be confusing and far less intuitive. My wife is a Samsung, diehard Samsung user who's had probably at least four or five of, of them. Um, I just, I'm confused every time I use it. I can eventually get to where I want to go, but I really have a hard time figuring out how to get there just straight off. And so um, that's why I prefer the iPhone. I'll also say that my current iPhone is a 10, generation 10 and is almost five years old and she's gone through at least two phones since I've gotten this one so not only do I think the user experience is better but I th I do believe the longevity of the device is better and that's I think primarily because the software runs more effectively on those devices and therefore they're not bombing out the hardware because they're they stop functioning that's speculation, of course, so I want to be careful about leveling accusations that I have no proof on, but based on observation that I've had um, in, in my experience with my phone versus her phone, for instance, is how I would uh, characterize that. One, and one last thing, I mean, I think she has to reboot her phone several times a week because it stops responding or otherwise acts in, in some kind of uh, un, undescribable fashion. Stops responding, stops with sound, stops with something. Versus I very rarely reboot my iPhone. I mean, 
it gets reboot when when it runs the uh, updates is about the only time it actually reboots so or I'm traveling or something like that but but anyway my point with all that is is I'm trying to describe myself and the older I get the more I just want things to work so I'm gonna use an example here of a new car I mean I'm not really interested in buying a new car unless my current car stops working. I mean, there are things that um, don't work as well. Uh, my pickup specifically is 20 years old. And right now, the only thing really wrong um, is the air conditioning stopped working a couple of years ago. And I don't drive it enough to really warrant fixing it although I do wish I fixed it at times during the summer but um and you know I maybe I could fix it myself if I actually took the time to try and figure out what why it wasn't working but it's just not a high enough priority for me um but you know in our other car which is uh well let's see it would be 13 years old now and it gets heavy use then there's some things that aren't working on it, but generally it starts, it runs, it drives, it goes from point to point. All the windows operate, you know, the air conditioning operates, the radio operates. Why, why would I want another car? I mean, sure, it doesn't have a built-in charge pad for my phone or it doesn't have the CarPlay apps that the new infotainment systems have to sync with your phone, but... But other than, than those new new things and a few minor things that don't work anymore, it's really not a big deal to me anyway. Um, and so what I'm getting across here is that, you know, I'm, I'm not one to just change for change's sake or change because something's new out there. I'm sure you could guess I'm not an early adopter on most things. I want things to... I want others to work out the problems and flaws with with these new technologies and and um, devices to get them figured out before I spend my time on them. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's a, kind of a sign of getting old. Um, so I'm going to relate now a story from when I was a child and we'll will build on that story and take it um, into how to stay young here. Okay, so back when I was, this would have been, actually, I was in seventh grade. So the year was probably 1987 or 1988. I'm not 100% sure. Probably 1988, actually. Um, I was in seventh grade and my dad decided that he was going to buy a computer for us. At this time, there were such, there were two kinds of stores. There were, there was the IBM store and then there was the Apple store. As we all know, the Apple store still exists. Um, it's primarily now a phone store rather than a computer store, but we had in our town, uh, not only did we have um, a huge Hewlett Packard HP manufacturing facility, but we also had Oregon State University. And so there was a small demand for personal computers back in the 1980s. And we had an IBM store. 
I remember going in the store and there, it was kind of like the Apple stores are today where, um, you know, there's a demo model of something and then there's not that much, you know, really to see or do. There's a couple demo model models in a salesperson and that's it. Um, you know, incidentally it was, I think it was Dell that actually changed that model from selling hardware, you know, brick and mortar to primarily online because, well, I'll talk about my first computer in a little bit here, but, um, Anyway, we went into the IBM store and he spent about five thousand dollars. This is nineteen eighty-eight dollars, mind you. Um, I think that amount of money probably could have purchased a car back then. Spent five thousand dollars on an eighty eighty-six IBM. It was a color display and it was an all-in-one unit that had a built-in hard drive on it. So. It was, uh, I would say, state-of-the-art at that point. Now, if you didn't go through these times like I did, you might not realize this, but, um, you know, the computer didn't come with anything installed on it or anything. You got maybe some, uh, some set of disks, floppy disks that came with it. And you had to uh, boot the computer and install the operating system essentially with no instruction um, and get it all set up. So my dad had a friend. My dad worked at a large engineering company. And um, within the engineering company, there were scientists, there were computer programmers and all that stuff. They actually had a mainframe on site. way back when and so he had a friend that he got to come over and um helped install the the operating system well he may have taken the computer and i don't remember exactly but but my point is is that the operating system had to be installed and then you know you don't do much on a computer without any programs so I think for our five thousand, my dad's five thousand dollars, he got um, some sort of um, elementary version of Microsoft Office. I remember seeing the the discs for it, and of course, this was all text-based uh, stuff. So we ended up with I think Word was definitely one of them. There was a text-based menu that you could navigate if you gave the command. Um, which all that software was installed on the hard drive. So this was all, again, cutting edge for the time. And um, we had Microsoft Word, I do remember that, and we had some sort of data database program. It was definitely, a, it was kind of like DBase, if anyone's old enough to remember that, but it was a text-based program and a spreadsheet program. I don't think it was called Excel, but it might have been. I don't remember. Um, But um, we got those with the computer. But again, if you remember those days, then you'll remember that um, there there were other players in the market. And the preferred word processing program was WordPerfect, which I think my dad got a copy of that from his office. And Lotus123 was another one and so um, my dad got a copy of that as well from his office 
And then his friend who uh, installed the software gave us a copy of a flight simulator. This was a game that um, mimicked World War II airplanes and you could fly a U.S. plane or you could fly a Japanese plane. And the, the point to the game was, you know, you were going to try and sink the, the ships in the Pacific depending on which side you you picked you know uh, and you would have to battle um, enemy planes so you might be going on your dive bomb run and have enemy planes shooting at you so you could dogfight and try to take out the planes and you know if you hit one which was kind of rare using the keyboard <laughs> as your uh, way to maneuver but um, if you hit one then you won that level or that round or whatever there wasn't a lot of thought given to high scores and all that stuff it was just objective complete or not complete and you could keep playing all the different battles they had and all the different airplanes they had and all in the two sides they had and, and that's what it was so we, I played that game quite a bit, actually, when we first got it. I got to the point where I could sometimes sink a, a ship, depending. I almost always flew American planes, but um, I could sometimes sink a ship, and, uh, and that was that. I mean, that's all we really used the computer for. We we did some word processing, and in these these days here, not only did we not have a computer lab at school, or any many computers I mean there were some but not many but you know nobody really had them at home either and so uh, the expectation of delivering a printed output was really not there um, and so um, most of my English and all that work was still handwritten although there were occasionally times um, where we were either permitted or I guess permitted to turn in typed work which I took advantage of because the computer was home in fact I mostly use the computer for nonsensical things <laughs> I had my own floppy disk that I could save my own stuff to and um, I would mostly make like uh, worksheets for building role-playing characters and things like that but I, you know, I mean, I talked about this before, actually, um, way back early on in my podcasting, where I talked about how role-playing games impacted me, and that was one of the ways. It was more a way of structuring data and and using the computer to do that, and getting your spacing right and all that stuff that I feel like was highly beneficial to me today. Anyway, that was a tangent. So I don't want to go too far into that. But um, I think it was that Christmas or very short, not long after that, after we got the computer that we ended up getting for Christmas, we got a joystick that we could use on it. And um, we got another game that was some sort of Indiana Jones game. I, um, I don't know exactly what it was about because you could only play for about five minutes and then you as indiana jones was was stuck so i remember um it was you know low base graphics kind of even lower than the nintendo the original nintendo was 
So you had a figure that looked like Indiana Jones and you were sort of navigating through a maze in first person like you would with today's first person games. Um, And I got to a place where somehow the passage was above me, but I didn't know how to get there. And there were no real resources. You know, there was nothing online. There was, as far as I know, there was no magazine hints or... You know, all you could really do maybe is know someone that had the game that might be able to help you, but there was definitely nothing in the package or in the software or no such thing as internet or any of that. And so, um, so we were stuck and tried many, many times to get it to work. In fact, you know, this was one of the things you would do when you were, um, sick or, Maybe you had a day off like Veterans Day and the parents were working or whatever. You're trying to figure out how can I advance, but you can't because you don't know how to. And so um, I, to this day, I don't know whether the game didn't actually work or we didn't know what we were doing. I would say possibly there might have been a combination of both because... It really was the Wild West kind of back then in terms of everything related to computers. Um, I remember my first computer I purchased in the mid-1990s. And it was advertised as coming with like 50 free games and software. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Knowing, you know, knowing the value of software and knowing the cost of software. Well, I was going to use the computer primarily for um, math and chemistry, specifically doing complex computations that um, we needed to do for our chemistry work. And um, we didn't have access to some computers, but the labs that we had had a limitation on you know when we could do it. We basically had to do it during working hours. And I didn't always want to do my work on working hours, so I got a computer myself. Anyway, it came with this envelope full of compact disks, which is how software moved from, you know, floppy disks to compact disks to drives to downloads that we have today, basically. And um, I got to say that, yeah, there were a number of... Some of them were one disc with four or five different things on there, but I never got most of them. I either I didn't care about, you know, they were like, um, oh, here's here's a label making program for a printer that um, you don't own, you know, stuff like that. It was basically a marketing ploy for them to say, there you go. There's we can we can give you free software that you can't even really use. There were a number of games on there, but unfortunately, I don't know. They didn't work, and I the only thing I can really think of is that they were written for older software like DOS, and I my first computer was actually a Windows 95 computer, and they just didn't, they wouldn't load, or they wouldn't play, or they wouldn't render, or they wouldn't, and, and that sort of sums up my initial experiences with computers i would say from from the inception until about the mid 2000s it was 
pretty much a crapshoot on installing hardware or software um, as to whether it would work or not. I mean, I think there were certain expectations with, I'll call it professional software. So like my math software I used or, um, you know, I purchased various programming language software for my classes, things like that. that those, those things worked. But those things were also not cheap either. I mean, we're talking $100 for that software back then. Um, and so, you know, we didn't have all the licensing complications and everything that we have today. So today, if you would buy something, you know, you either have the license or you don't. So that means it's either going to work or it's not in most cases unless it's open source. Um, back then, you know, I could get a copy of Microsoft Office from someone else. I could install it on my computer and I'm off and running. Um, other software like modeling software I had for chemistry, that kind of worked a little bit, but then you're starting to get into these gray areas of, they're not like first tier software companies and they're selling stuff that is a little gray to be honest. <laughs> so, um, but since, since the mid 2000 since, um, like windows for instance, has begun, uh, incorporating drivers into their distribution releases and the reliability of internet, things have gotten much, much better on that front. So, Today, you can pretty reliably pop in some piece of hardware, assume you're going to have a driver for it, or you can get it and uh, extract it, run it, and, and have a reasonable user experience. But that just wasn't the case back then. And so, you know, I grew up, I, sh I would say, I guess, in a time of instability, but um, just like aging, right? You move beyond that sort of churn into a predictable, easy pattern. And so um, here I am now, almost 50, and things just work. Like my iPhone, it just works. I don't have to, I don't worry about, and this was a worry of me in the past, where I worry about, you know, is the money that I'm going to spend on this worth the risk and the potential upside of what it's going to provide when it doesn't run. I think that game that my parents bought, I'm guessing they bought it from the IBM store too. It was probably in the neighborhood of, you know, 50 to $75 in the mid 1980s. That was a significant amount of money when we look at the rate of inflation since that, since that point. You know, it would, it would probably be in the na neighborhood of several hundred dollars. And can you imagine spending several hundred dollars on something that just flat out doesn't work? Right? No, I don't think anyone would put up with that these days. So, um, so yeah, so now I'm, you know, now I'm comfortable where I'm at. Things work. Yes, I have, I have a lot of those experiences to draw back on, but I certainly wouldn't want to go back to them either. <laughs> I mean, things are much cheaper, much more reliable, much faster, much, so much better. 
which leads me to my latest headbanging incident. So I, uh, I wrote about my techno junk uh, earlier last week, and I did receive my first SDR radio. That's software-defined radio. And I'm trying to install it on Linux. And I have to say that everything is so foreign to me. So I'm using Ubuntu, and that's that's the distribution that I'm using of Linux. It's nice. I mean, if you go to download it and put it on a USB stick and run it off a stick, I mean, you have a complete functional operating system for free that's low overhead, that's uh, runs well, that looks nice, that has everything that you want. It's amazing. I mean, it comes with a calendar program that syncs to, you know, my, like my Gmail calendar that I use. So I get reminders on it every day. Um, it has a mail program where you can add all your mail accounts and aggregate those just like Microsoft does. It includes Office Libre, which is a, a free version of Microsoft Office. I think uh, this is the predecessor to this was called Open Office. So it's an open source office program that's compatible with Microsoft Office. You can you can read Microsoft doc, Office documents. You can save as format to be editable in Microsoft Office. So you really can share and be part of the world, you know, with this Linux distribution. And it installs basically one-click type of installation. But this is really kind of where things stop. <laughs> so... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I've been, I haven't used this computer much. This computer belonged to my mother-in-law. And when we were emptying out her storage shed uh, about almost a year ago now after she passed, um, I took it. Mostly I took it because I wanted to see what was on there in terms of data. And I didn't want to just, uh, you know, out in the ether. And I was looking at it thinking, what am I going to do with this machine? Or first of all, how am I going to get into it? And a little hack here is you can run uh, Linux off a USB, boot it up, and then you can access all the data in a Microsoft environment. The data, unless it's encrypted on a hard drive, uh, you know, is accessible by other operating systems. And so that's what I did. Once I took my initial tour through there, then I um, decided that there was tons of disk space on there. I think it was a terabyte drive that, that was actually on there. And it was running Windows 10, although it's it's an older computer. But I said, well, I'm just going to convert this to Linux. You know, I've experimented with that in the past. I've booted uh, this computer I'm on here in Linux. I ordered another hard drive and and booted uh, an XP computer that I have in Linux. So it has dual boot capability if I wanted it. Um, and so um, so I said, all right, well, I'm just gonna leave I'm just gonna leave that one in Linux and that'll be my my playground for that. But what I didn't realize was that um, while the initial installation of Linux is is smooth and easy, Everything after that is much more difficult if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and so I went into that whole story saying that um, the sound card, the integrated sound card onto the motherboard is not functioning right. 
and I think it's probably more the port is not working. So sound is was only coming out of one um, one speaker. I tried different sets of speakers. I tried the speakers on my own on a different computer, and yeah, it's definitely the the computer itself. So. I was gonna or, order an uh, an internal card for a new sound card, but then I saw for ten dollars I can get a USB sound card, and so that's what I did. <clears throat> I bought that. I plugged it in. I plugged the speakers in, and now both speakers work on that computer. So uh, once again, I was like, "Well, this this works exactly like I expect it would, right? You plug something into USB, a driver's found, it starts working, and then problem solved. I don't have to tear the computer apart to get into it to switch out and deal with drivers and all that junk." But um, uh, as I said, you know, this is where my education really began because. I assumed the SDR would move, would work the same way, but sure enough, it didn't. And I found out by going to the device manufacturer's website that it does install a generic driver, but I needed to do a lot more things. So I needed to go to the command prompt in Linux, and I needed to blacklist the generic driver so that I could install the specific driver from the company of course I had no idea how to do that <laughs> and then um, after the driver was installed and validated as functioning then I needed to, to install a program called SDR++ and all this has to be done manually through the command line prompts well I'm pretty savvy with computers I mean I've grown up programming. I've spent a lot of my career now, probably the majority of my career, in software engineering and programming. And but I'm almost 50, so I've kind of drifted away from, you know, all the new stuff, the newest stuff. That all that being said is like Linux kind of looks like gibberish to me. <laughs> so because it looks like gibberish because I don't understand the commands I don't understand the layout of the structure and I don't understand what to do exactly so for I'm gonna give you a verbal example here so uh, the instruction said um, open a text editor and and um, edit a file to exclude the generic driver and then it showed a picture that says sudo vi slash word slash word dot extension I'm like what in the world is this even saying so I looked up you know um, Linux command line commands I, I found out that sudo is actually an, an abbreviation for run as a super user and so you need to do that if you're gonna make um, operational changes like changes to what's happening in the operating system I learned that VI is is the command for an executable of a text-based editor. So sudo VI means run as a super user, the VI text editor, and then the next string of words, slash word, slash word dot extension is the file path that you want to go to for this, this file that you're going to edit. 
So then it opens the text editor when you put that in. And then the next thing, I'm going to tell you the proper way to do this. The next thing you do is type I, which is the insert command in the text editor. Then you type the file name of the, of the file that you want to exclude. And then you press the escape key. And then you type colon WQ to save and close the file. So not knowing any of this, right? The instructions, as I, I'll repeat them again, the instructions were open a text editor, exclude the generic driver, save and close the text editor. Well, that none of that says pseudo VI word extension. This is the actual file name. Um, hit I when it opens, type the file name in, hit escape, then save and close using colon WQ. I did find there's other commands for getting out of it, like closing without saving. I don't remember what they are off the top of my head, so I'm not going to talk about them right now. But um, anyway, I had to do this probably like 15 times before I finally got the sequence right, because my initial response is open the text editor and start typing instead of giving the insert command. And so I would open it, start typing, save without or close without saving, start over, open, start typing or make a typo or hit the inner key, which then causes other characters to show up. And so um, anyway, I finally understand at least the premise of what's going on with it. And this is not going to be a super technical podcast, but I just say that to say that it, it's all very foreign to me as someone that's now used to plugging something into a USB port and having it work, right? The next thing I, I need to do is install the S, SDR++ software. Well, that's not in a compiled package. So... <laughs> You have to go find it from GitHub, which is a source repository. You have to find the version that matches with your hardware and operating system that you're using. You have to save and extract those executables, more command line programming. And so, you know, it's not like I'm never going to get it. I'm going to get it at some point, but as long as I keep working at it. But it it's very different than... Um, going to a link, clicking on it, and then saying, yes, I want to install that, right? It's learning a whole new language. At this point, I've attempted to do both. I've attempted to blacklist the generic driver, install the proper driver, and install the SDR++ software. I also installed another piece of software that's from the, the Linux store, if you will. As of right now, I don't think my driver is working and I have not been able to install the software. Uh, so uh, it very well is probably something I did because I had to take so many attempts at doing this in the first place that I probably have screwed something up now. I kind of hope I don't have to start over, <laughs> but... I mean, start over as in wipe the operating system and start over. But I may, I don't know yet. I think my next move actually is take the SDR off the Linux machine, install it on a Windows machine and see what it, see, is it actually working? See what the software is supposed to do. It's not a bad thing anyway, because then I can uh, move that to my laptop and 
play around with it there for if I wanted to. But, you know, what I'm trying to say is I may have bitten off more of a technology curve than I'm capable of handling at the moment because um, I just don't know anything about Linux. I, I'm, I'm learning a few things. And, you know, I think I am confident that the, the more you try, the more you'll learn. So um, I do feel like this is, uh, this is good for me. So I'm going to keep going with it, but I'll be honest and say that the thought did occur to me that I really didn't want to mess with this. It's like, I have enough things to do, you know, I'm, um, getting ready to go hunting. Well, actually at the time of recording, I'm getting ready to go hunting. I'll be on my hunting trip as this releases. And, um, you know, I got, I got my own hobbies. I got stuff my wife wants me to do. I've got my organization that I need to keep working on. I've got furniture my wife wants me to build as well as home projects. And I've got grapes that are sitting in a bucket outside. I don't need to be spending my time banging my head against a computer to install a radio that I probably don't even need. (laughs) So, but you know, I, and you, you come up with this value equation, you know, and and that's maybe I'm scarred for life, but will this be another Indiana Jones type moment, you know, where I spend hours and hours trying to see if I can make it work without, uh, without any success. I think there's a couple silver linings here. One is that there is a lot of stuff on the internet on how to work with Linux. And so everything that I figured out so far has been by looking up, you know, what is Linux VI? Oh, that's a text editor. Oh, what are the commands for Linux VI? Oh, here's a whole list of them, right? Um, And so combining my, my already, the knowledge I already have with knowledge that's available out there, then it can be done. The other thing is, is I happen to know someone that actually programs as a career in Linux. So um, I haven't pulled the trigger on using that yet, but I'm sure he would be more than happy to give me a few pointers if I actually wanted them and asked for them. But anyway, um, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if, if I'm, I have it currently, I have it tuned to a radio frequency that I know has a pretty strong signal but I don't know if I have the wrong antenna on there and not really capable. I don't know if the antenna is positioned where it's not getting much signal. I don't know if it's the driver's not working right. I don't know if I screwed it up when I did it 15 times. Um, I think, you know, so, but, you know, what I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that that value equation is, is, it, is this really worth the effort? And I, you know, I have to say that I, I think about the Linux commu- community and, and the commitment to anarchy and free market. And I, and I want to believe that that's probably in my future at some point. And so the more I can become comfortable with Linux, the, the better off I'll be because um, I've had the thought that this computer that I'm recording on right now will not upgrade to Windows 11. And so it's at its lifespan. And I will probably convert it to Linux 
rather than um, mothballing it and keep going that way. So then I'll probably, then I'll have two Linux machines. And so, um, you know, I think that I will ultimately end up going in the direction of probably living in both uh, worlds, Windows, Microsoft, and Linux. But, but, you know, this is good for me, and so I'll keep trying. So that's a lot about, you know, things that I've done and failed at or struggle with or whatever. But I want to get back to the subject matter here. And, and I think that getting old is really a feeling. And so there are some, clearly there are some biological breakdowns that happen. But aging um, is more about mindset than actual physical barriers and so like my programming education in heyday was with text-based programs when i think about it i did take one visual basic class in college this was the very very beginning of object-oriented programming we had the the term in text-based programming but it didn't work the same and i'm going to skip all the technical jargon but you know, it was putting code on buttons and things like that that didn't exist with text-based programming, even though you could write objects and call objects and all that stuff back then. But I, I would say I didn't get it. I understood the linear output, um, the linear linear input and output of text-based programming, but I didn't understand the programming on different widgets and items that uh, you could do. And so what I'm trying to say is, you know, I took a 12-week class in that in college, but it was so foreign to what I was doing otherwise that it didn't make any sense. And it, it just takes time, especially the older you get, right? It takes time to reprogram your mind, learn those advantages and disadvantages, and, and see new things and, and understand them. So... You know, as I said, I'm almost 50. I haven't bothered to get into the newer programming languages because I haven't needed to. It hasn't been part of my job. I don't need another degree. The only reason I would be doing it would be really for um, just for my own education, which means, you know, it doesn't mean I can't get into newer languages like Java or whatever. It just means that I'm I'm lazy. <laughs> I've been complacent in in doing that because it doesn't serve me and i think just a just a point to that you know i mean i'm not convinced that just knowing things to know things is really the right approach to life i think humans learn best when they actually need to know something then they'll put in the effort to do that but until then they probably don't have a reason to do that and so it's more noise you know i think you see a lot of that uh particularly with youth around graduation time when they really don't know what it is, right? What do you want to do? Well, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to study this. They don't really know what this is because they haven't tried it. And until they try it, then they'll decide, yeah, this is for me or no, this is not for me. But they don't know what else to say, so they say something, right? And so to avoid from getting old, you really just have to keep trying. And I guess to be explicitly clear, I'm not saying that Linux keeps you young. 
But for me, you know, learning another operating system and set of commands and things and moving beyond simply the plug and play environment gives me some new skills and some new um, outlook on what can be done. I'm particularly interested in Linux based on the techno junk aspect because it, because the operating system is so lightweight, it extends the life of computers well beyond what they are in this um, disposable Microsoft age, right? The reason my computer is not going to upgrade to 11 is because Microsoft has deemed it so that it won't upgrade it based on the hardware that's there. Not because there's any sort of inherent performance limitations, but because it's it's a business decision rather than a, an actual physical one, right? And so um, I think that it just so happens that technology seems to move faster than we do, which makes it a perfect canvas for this conversation. But I want to be clear that, you know, this applies for a new hobby as well as any sort of profession. So, for instance, I think, you know, you can learn to dance or you can train yourself to run an ultra marathon. You can learn to speak a new language. You can teach yourself mechanics. You can learn to weld. You can do most of the things that I've learned to do have been from me pursuing the how to do them either from, you know, seeing them on TV or watching them on the computer or checking out books or what have you. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really a matter of your mind seeing that you want to learn how to do something new and that not giving up when it's hard that keeps you young. So, you know what, if you're 98, then I can understand the hesitation and I can also excuse it too. But uh, if you're a little less old, right, there's no reason for us not to keep trying to learn and do new things. Because ultimately, that's what I believe is going to keep us young. So uh, that's the end of what I have to say today. If you want to contact me, I am Brandon at Alta4.co. Uh, you can also contact me through um, other social media, shoot, I can't even remember what it is off the top of my head. So skip it. I don't use it a lot. There you go. Um, and, uh, if you have feedback, you can go ahead and email it to me. Noster. That's what it was. You can also contact me on Noster. If you have other feedback, you can go ahead and email it to me. Um, I'm going to keep working on this thing and I'm going to keep talking about it or writing about it or whatever, because this is what keeps me young. So with that, remember to end your programming and do things that matter. 